Welcome into the aftershock, Jamin Moore, Alex Morgan, and the rare appearance, Colinette and I are doing it on Essential Time Saturday. Guys, 1-1 draw, Minnesota United and the San Jose Earthquakes. I feel like, look, we're going to break this down, and there's, there's a lot to, there's a lot to, you know, complain about. There's a lot to say, hey, you know, some positives here. Um, ultimately, I felt it was the best full 90 minutes of an away game since league's cup in terms of an away game and being able to go bell to bell and feel like there was something going on, you know, at least every five to 10 minutes or so where the quakes were threatening in different ways. And, um, but you know, they also had to control, uh, Reynoso. They had to, had to deal with cookie tonight, who was very lively, uh, Hawani in the box as well. Very active. You know, how do you guys read the game? Let me kick it over to uh, Colin. Let me kick it over to you first uh, tonight to get your your thoughts. You may be right that this is the best away performance for some time. But if that's true, then it's it's damning this team with faint praise to a certain extent. Um, that being said, you could tell, especially the way that Lucci managed the end of the game, that he was very happy to get out of there with uh, with a draw. Uh, I think. You know, when you're in the third to last game of the year and you're sitting in a decent position and Minnesota's below you on the table and therefore it's a true six pointer, I can see that. Um, so, yes, I think that they looked a little bit more competent, a little bit more dangerous than they have in some recent weeks or some recent months, really, uh, away uh, from home. So overall, solid performance, uh, but I, it was certainly not a, a strong performance. It was not a confidence giving performance. It was just solid. Um, but at this point, three games, you know, third to last game of the season, that's kind of all you can really ask for. I think there's some very interesting tactical stuff that we can get into, but the yeah. choices that were made, uh, you know, it, it, it's interesting that the team hasn't seemed to find itself uh, still. And, you know, here we are, the third to last game of the year. Would you so, dialed up something interesting, but the fact that it's something new is, is kind of unusual. So, Alex, you and uh, Robert Jonas held court on a very exciting uh, aftershock last week. Really well done, uh, guys. Uh, you know, even even though I uh, I disagree with elements of it, I wanted to let you guys run, and you guys did a great job. Was Lucha Gonzalez watching the aftershock? Because literally everything except Paul Maurice starting was that that you talked about on the show came out in the starting lineup tonight and a nice surprise with Jack Skane returning to the 20 and even getting onto the field later in the match. How do you feel this lineup that you kind of asked for uh, performed tonight? Look, I, I think the changes that Luchi Gonzalez made tonight were obvious. I think that midfield obviously needed a refresh. Carlos Guerrero has been asked to play basically every minute of every game this entire season. And so to get Nico Shakiris in the starting lineup, was a positive. It was good to see a midfield with Jameer Montero, Nico Shakiris, and Jackson Yule. I think I still would like to see Nico Shakiris higher up the field playing in that 10 role when the Quakes are building out of the back. I, I don't think Luchi Gonzalez took it as far as he could have, but I like the fact that he was willing to change something to inject some energy into this midfield and into this offense because it has not been good enough since the League's Cup break. And, and that's why it felt like maybe one of their stronger away performances since then, Jamin. It's because they've got two wins in nine MLS games since then. 
they have been, you know, crawling to the finish line here. If they had picked up one more win anywhere along the way, they'd basically be a lock for the playoffs at this point. So they've been crawling to the finish line. And tonight, I want to give them credit. They avoided disaster. If the Quakes had lost tonight to Minnesota United, if they hadn't got that uh, that goal back, they would have been on the outside of the playoff line looking in at the end of tonight. So they avoided that that precarious situation. They got the goal back, and it's probably just good enough tonight to get out of uh, Minnesota feeling like they, they got away with something. Because now with the uh, FC Dallas dropping points, with Sporting Kansas City getting pummeled, watching the rest of the results around Western Conference go their way, they're still in control of their destiny. They're still uh, very much uh, strong you know, favorites to, to make the playoffs if they can get a win out of these last two games. Yeah, it's uh, it's the wild, wild west, isn't it? Because we are looking at a conference that entered the night where the difference between second place and ninth place was five points uh, to the quick spot, which was sitting in, in eighth coming into the night. It was four points. And uh, that's really, really tight margins. And of course, as you mentioned, Alex, there are, you know, there are some, uh, you know, teams below them. But those teams, you know, struggled tonight. And we'll see how the rest of the night plays out. There's still more games going on. But, uh, Colin, you know, you were, uh, you were raising some interesting tactical things that, that you noticed. Um, you know, while we're waiting for Lucia Gonzalez and the press conference to start here, you know, give us kind of your, your tactical observations about how this kind of different lineup, but still playing a 4-3-3, still playing... Uh, without really probably a true 10, um, still kind of pressing in a very similar way as they have been. It, it felt like, to Alex's point, she went somewhere, but he didn't go all the way in a particular direction. But regardless, it had its effects on yeah, the way I, that this game played out. So where I, do you see it? I don't even know if I, I agree with the idea that this is a 4-3-3 anymore. The, from the beginning, you see that the way that Nico and Yule relate to each other is much more similar to a double pivot. Now, Nico is given a lot more freedom to roam up the pitch, you know, than, than perhaps you would in a true double pivot system. Um, Alex Morgan, apparently, you know, <laughs> you look, <laughs> look at that one. If, if there is a positional map here, uh, you, you will see that the way that they relate to each other, uh, average positioning that they, they truly did sit side by side when deep in possession. Um, and that's quite different than the way that a true four, three, three sets. Now, of course, the third of that three is Montero, who is playing up at the top. I don't even think it's arguable that there is a kind of a double pivot system in place. Now, this is a huge problem uh, in this game because they couldn't cover for a, a fairly left. Uh, the, fra the left side of the defense was very fragile. So Miguel Trauco, good on the ball, not necessarily a great defender. You have Matt Hoppy playing as a true winger. You know, he's not playing like a wide left attacker here. He's playing, you know, deep in line with the center. Uh, you know, you're having two lines here. You watch when they're out of position. This is what I mean when I say it's inarguable. It's a 4-3, 4-4-2. Four, three, three, uh, four, four, is you see they have two banks of four uh, when they're defending. So if you have uh, if you have Hoppy all the way back, he's not necessarily used to that role. He's not necessarily a defensively oriented guy. You have Trauco, who's a suspect defender. You have Beeson, who is you know, a perfectly adequate, but not a stellar center back, and you don't have any Gruezo to cover for them, that is a very flimsy defensive system to send out there. Now, does it create certain opportunities going forward that wouldn't have been there otherwise? Absolutely. But you saw that Minnesota's were attacking that side over and over and over and over again, and they did eventually get their goal. 
Now, there was a lot of things that went wrong in that goal, but Miguel Trauco completely lost Timo Pukki uh, at the backside of that play. Uh, you can see when he notices that Pukki has gotten entirely by him. He kind of, you can see it in his face. Um, but then, you know, Lucci switches up the system. Uh, excuse me, he switches up the personnel to actually match the system. It's about an hour into the match. All of a sudden, that 4 4 2 gets even truer when they get Groese on, when they move Hoppy up top and Cowell over to the left, Paul Marie, a more defensively solid left back. And all of a sudden, for me, the system that had sort of been in place from the beginning matched the personnel. So I, I think that it was a weird situation for me where it seemed like the personnel moved in an attacking direction. The system, though, wasn't really designed around their strengths. I do like the idea of Nico and Yule as kind of the deeper central midfielders, though, because they're really press resistant. And that's really important in the modern game. But the problem is they weren't really set up in a way to press high, uh, you know, or to take advantage of, of their strengths. So I think it was um, better personnel, not necessarily a better system until it clicked into place later on. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the goal came shortly thereafter, although one substitution later than that. So uh, before I switch it back over to Alex, Colin, if you could jump in here, like, what do you what do you see as the solution to that while keeping this team a little bit more attacking, a little bit less predictable than they have been, you know, with the normal configuration that they've been running out there of Cowell on the left, Montero in the left half space and Grezzo behind him? Well, I think that the fact that Montero coming off and then you have Happy going up to the top of the formation with Kate on wide left, all of a sudden things starting to make more sense. That kind of answers the question right there. You know, Montero is a good player but has not been, he is not a piece of any of the systems that have worked this year for me. You know, mm. he's kind of um, a very specific piece. He's a good player. He just fits in a particular way. And if the entire team is oriented around that style of playing in that position, great. The problem is, especially if you're really trying to kind of press your offensive advantage, having him play as the second striker when he has that little ability to create in the final third or to score himself, is a huge problem. So I would say it's a Montero shaped problem. And I think the Quakes are going to have two, maybe three games uh, left of that problem before, you know, we see, we see the end of it in this off season. All right, Colin, you, you got me on board with, with that half of the answer. I, I, I can, I can get where, where you're saying. I, I liked that second half shape also, because I think Matthew Hoppy is better when he's playing through the middle uh, I, I don't think his 1v1 skills are amazing. What I do appreciate about Matthew Hoppy is that he is going to keep running at guys. He's going to keep causing problems and he's going to turn up in good spots and you can maximize the impact of that when he's playing in the middle. When he's out wide, he was sending in good crosses. He was making turnovers, but oftentimes he'd kind of just run into his defender and there'd be a loose ball out wide, which is not nearly as dangerous as a loose ball at the top of the box. So I think if you put Matthew Hoppy central and, and commit to that that more empty bucket, 4-4-2, I, I think that would make this Earthquakes team team better. Now, I, I don't didn't agree entirely with what you were saying about the, the first half shape. I think it's absolutely clear, and you're absolutely right, that they play with two banks of four and then two forwards when they're defending that's that's an arguable as i said i think the shape when they're building out uh is a little bit less clear than than the way you're making it out. i mean i don't really think it's worth like like i i'm not going to die on the hill that it's a 433 or it's a, a 442 it, i think at some point it's just semantics i will say that i think nico shakiris tends to receive the ball 
you know, with his back facing goal or on the half turn more often than not in the build out. And to me, that indicates that he's playing a little bit higher as an eight rather than as, uh, you know, a number six in an empty bucket, four, four, two, him and Jameer Montero tend to be uh, making runs from the kind of the forward line, dropping back into the middle. So I, I think that's one of the ways in which it looks a little bit more like a four, three, three to me, but, but I actually don't, don't see that mattering so much as as the personnel that, that that you have in there and making sure that you get the right guys on in a way that that clicks and and i think there's a comment here from daniel that actually uh kind of uh and and uh oh it might not be this one daniel's had some uh, uh multiple good comments tonight uh but uh there was <laughs> one further back daniel was talking about the midfield oh okay i'll, yeah, I'll look about, i'll look for it he was talking about jackson ewell as a number six and i have to say Jackson Ewell as a number six worried me a little bit today. He was fine in the buildout, but in the second half, he got tired. Uh, I think he, he reached his limit. Uh, and uh, I, I think, it, you know, Carlos Grezzo offers a lot in that second half, uh, just cleaning up at the back. And, and I think that that's really how the earthquakes allowed that goal is when, uh, you know, uh, Nico Shakiris lost the ball high up the field. Nico and and Mira really turned off. Neither of them bothered to track back at all. And and I was quite frankly apoplectic by that decision because this is a game that's <laughs> going to get the Quakes into the playoffs. To have your two midfielders shutting down when you lose the ball and zero zero, uh, that that's that's just inexcusable to me. And I, Jackson Mule, I could have done better. He at least bothered to to jog back. I think he could have done better. I think the entire back line could have done better, but, but to me, the, the real issue is that I'm still not certain that this is the right configuration in the midfield. And, and I, I, I think that the reason I agree with the second half of your comments, Colin, is I just think it's a, it's, it's, it's Jameer Montero's role still doesn't make a ton of sense to me. I still don't think he was really contributing much going forward tonight uh, enough to justify uh, his, his starting position. And, and I think that, that, you know, uh, Luchi Gonzalez needs to imagine this this midfield beyond Jimmy Montero. So I'm, I'm going to make a comment, but then I'm going to kick it back to you guys. Uh, and I want to follow up a little bit on what you're saying, because I think you both are making good points that are are valid. But I'm going to also say that the reason Carlos Gruezzo needed to sit on the bench is because he did exactly the same thing you're saying Shakiris and Yule did in many similar situations, including the last time the Quakes played Minnesota United where he completely switched off on, on that ball to, to Buki over the top that, that Minnesota scored on. So there's a lot of similar situations that Gruezzo has not been the answer there. And I actually feel like there's very little difference at the six right now between what Yule provides and what Gruezzo provides. Neither one of them is a destroyer. Neither one of them is going to close space all that great in zone 14. Yule just brings a little bit better uh, you know, play out of the back, a little bit more to the attack. Uh, going forward, uh, just a little bit more than what Gruezzo is able to offer right now. And look, I've I've given Gruezzo a lot of uh, you know kind of room here because, of course, he has been playing a full Bundesliga se- season and World Cup and other international games, and you know, and and then you're asking him to play a full MLS season. Look, the, the dude just needs time off. I'm happy he got some of that tonight, but I just feel like Yule offers a little bit more. And it looks like we're going to Lucci. So we're going to do that. I want to come back and I want to talk more about the left side and how to fix that. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for tonight's post-game press conference following our 1-1 draw with Minnesota United FC. We'll start with a question from Alex Morgan. 
Hey, Lucci. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight. It's good to speak to you. Uh, I want to ask about uh, the midfield because you started with a, a, a new uh, combination in the middle tonight with Jackson, Nico, and Miro in there. Uh, I want to ask what led you to that that combination and the the spots they were playing in, uh, and what you thought of the the way that they performed, and and also the way that the the midfield shape changed over the course of the game because it did look different after you made the subs uh, and you took Miro off and you and you moved Poppy centrally. Yeah, look, the the analysis was look at Minnesota, see their strengths, see the things that we hurt, we feel we can hurt them. We felt with those three to start the game with Nico, Jackson, Mito, they have uh, they had a good connection when we finished the game against Nashville. We looked at certain things during the week and we felt like let's give that some consistency, try to control the middle with some close connections, passes, sequences of passes and possession. I thought we had moments of it. First half, it's good to have a 0-0. Score line, you know, we I thought we, we did have some moments of possession, but not enough. I thought we could have connected more and been a little more patient with the ball and our buildup and and then the finishing attack, ball circulation, find the weak side to get higher percentage crosses. But um, we still created a few chances that, that could have been put away. And look, I, I thought it was a fair game. I thought it was a pretty even game. Uh, I thought we were second half. Uh, we actually started the half quite well, and in a transition moment, man, they 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 have special attacking players, and they hurt us in transition. So then we're down 1-0, and we responded with some aggressive subs that guys that we think can give us some verticality and speed, and 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 take the game to another gear, and and they did that. So we went into that 4-4-2, got Hoppy Central a little more aggressive, maybe a little less control of the middle, but at least guys run, looking to run in behind and and drive at their back line, and, and it paid off with with a great goal with a Christian cross to Paul. An overlapping and an attacking minded left left fullback. So, um, you know, and then at the end, we, we it was important we closed it. The, the point was going to be very valuable. It opened up in a way where it could have even gone three points either way, but um, we were fortunate to, to close it and, and take home a, an important point now. And, um, and you know, we need to now rest well and, and prepare against a very good Dallas team um, and, and go from there. Next, we'll go to Jamie Moore. Hey, Lucci. Thanks for uh, uh, the time tonight. And, uh, you know, I think congrats on an important road point, it, although not three, uh, like you would have wanted. Um, uh, 1.44 XG, according to uh, according to opt on both both sides tonight, 14 shots on both sides. It did feel a bit like your kind of most even and complete away game in quite some time um, in terms of the way that the game played out. Um, and, uh, you know, getting Jack Skane back uh, toward the end of the game there with the interesting move to sub him on for Jeremy Obobese, I think, uh, you know, was nervy for, for some fans, but it's great to see Jack back. Can you talk a little bit about kind of his fitness at this point and, and you know, why put him into the striker uh, position uh, there instead of somewhere else and uh, like maybe getting Hoppy up high and, and having him at the 10 or something like that? Thanks. Well, that's what we did. It was a 4-4-2. It was a 4-4-2 with Jack and Hoppy high. So, and Hoppy's got hops, you know, he's got ups and he's a big boy. But, you know, at the end of the day, it wasn't about that. It wasn't trying to like play with a physical target and flick balls. It was about getting guys on the field that, you know, Jabo put in a great shift. He, he worked hard. He, he had a good, you know, second half, I thought, especially he had some good hold up play. And we just wanted some freshness. And even though Jack is a different like profile, uh, with the different physicality, he's got speed, power. He can play between the lines. He runs in behind, and he's super active in the box. So 
you know, it was a 4-4-2 with Jack and Poppy to push the game and give us some different things, different options. And Kate and Christian continue to run the wings and give us wide play. So that, that was the idea behind that. Next, we'll go to Ivan. Uh, good evening, Lucci. Uh, knowing that Minnesota had a game in hand, that certainly added a lot of pressure, knowing that if the score remained 1-0 Minnesota, that would completely swing the momentum in their favor. And while they still have that game in hand, at least you skip the draw and keeping that distance between the two teams the same. So how does that result uh, affect any sort of momentum, pressure, confidence going into another road game? Look, it was a, it's a huge point. You know, it's a huge point. We, we knew Minnesota um, were the, the direct competition who's going to be above or below the line. So um, but you don't you try not to like over like overly stress that or analyze it. We, we were aware of it. Uh, we did some configuration about like what we control and and then focus on like ourselves be us focus on our process our attitudes going into the game and whatever happens uh, we give it our best we leave it all on the field and we play the best that we can in our way and the best way that we can representing our identity as san jose so the response was excellent and getting that point um now and looking at it in a, in a calm way it's like yeah that was a huge point because uh, it does keep things in us in, the, in a position to hopefully control the our uh, our destiny and be in the driver's seat. But look, we got some tough games ahead. You know, we 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 don't. This is this is the the point where um, the last thing we want to do is relax or think uh, um, depend on other results that we can't control. It's about what we can control, and it's all about Dallas now. We'll take a second question from Alex Morgan. Hey, Luigi, thanks for taking a, a second here. I want to ask about Paul Marie, you know, getting subbed on, scoring the goal. Um, it seemed like he was he was maybe out of the rotation a little bit in the in the month of um, August towards the end of the summer there, um, only getting a few minutes on as a as a sub. Um, but, you know, got the start against Portland, has had some some more consistent minutes recently. Um, what are you seeing from him? Um, how do you feel like the, the trajectory of his season has has gone? Look, Paul's played, I think, in every single game he's been available for. So starting or not, he's been in rotation. He's been involved, right? And um, and he's important. I think he's a starting caliber fullback slash wingback, not just for us, but for the league. And, uh, you know, we re we resigned him. We extended his contract because we, we value him a lot and we want him uh, for future seasons. So uh, proud of his uh, mentality, you know, um, being ready no matter what, starting or not, knowing that the game will have a role for him. And he came in and showed that. So really proud of him. And and, uh, and that shows, you know, what kind of a teammate he is to this group. Thank you, everyone. To honor the travel wishes of the team, this will be the final question of the press conference. Thanks, guys. Good night. Okay. So uh, Colin, a lot of uh, information there. You know, from Lucci, I uh, kind of talked about why he made some of the choices that he made. Um, how does that uh, kind of information, you know, influence, you know, what you uh, what you kind of came in uh, understanding in terms of the uh, the tactical plan for the game? Um, nothing, nothing hugely surprising there. You know, nothing stunning. But I will say he kind of, in a very subtle way, drew a, a, a hard underline to the fact that 
you know, it was before the break, before this press conference, we were talking about originally the Montero problem. And I think we all agree he's, you know, a fairly specific player. And so if you're not fitting, it doesn't work. The problem we didn't talk about that you started gesturing towards going into the press conference and that Lucci kind of engaged in the first question is the Groezo problem. Um, you know, I think Carlos Groezo has been decent, you know, through the season. He's not, he's certainly not been terrible or anything. Uh, but when you're spending, you know, three, $4 million on a transfer and, you know, DP wages and, you know, you're bringing a guy in like that, it, it's, you know, a Lucci requested guy, you're hoping for a little bit more, you know, something like what Jose Martinez has been for Philadelphia Union, someone or, you know, as Fado Alonso was for for Seattle for all those years. Um, you know, there there's you, you want a little bit more influence from that uh, from that position. And Lucci suggesting his reasons for selecting the midfield, he did. And he's right. They, they have played those three guys together at portions. You know, we've seen them that combination come up in games. Um, the fact that he underlined their ability to hold on to the ball, to connect and to progress. Um, yeah is like Groezo needs to be offering the defensive dirty work. And by the way, I do disagree with you a little bit. I think he is more athletic and and, and stronger and a little bit more rugged than, than Yule is. Um, but, you know, Lucci's very seriously underlying the things he can't do. Um, and that's clearly the reason he dropped him. And by the way, let's not, let's not make a mistake here. It is a huge decision to drop a guy. You, you were talking about a team that, you know, they have a week until their next game. It's not necessarily you know, completely due to burnout here. He just dropped a designated player in favor of an 18 year old homegrown. You know, uh, that's, that's a big call to make. It's a, mm -hmm. you know, it takes a lot of confidence as a manager to, to make that kind of call. And it just indicates that Grezo has not been good enough yet this year. He's been fine. He's not been terrible, but he's not, hasn't lived up to, to what the quakes need him to be, to be influential and to change the game. So I think that that was a, that was the one thing about the press conference that was very revealing to me. Alex, you got two questions. Uh, you know, what, what were your thoughts on on uh, how Lucci responded to on those? Well, you asked the key question, Jamie, because you know we have the the Jamir Montero problem here. We have the uncertainty about uh, Carlos Guerrero and Jackson Ewell, but we also have a, a Jack Skain solution. And it was good to see Jack Skain get back into this team. And it might be true that the Quakes don't actually need to move to the, the 4-4-2 like Colin and I have been saying. And they can just throw Jack Skane there to start at that number 10 position because he fills that role in exactly the way that Luchi Gonzalez needs him to. And, you know, he didn't get much time on the field tonight, didn't get very many touches, but we know the energy he can bring. Uh, we know the uh, kind of form he was on in July and, and, and in August. Uh, and, and he is the kind of guy who, if he can get 100% fit in these last two games, uh, can change the season for the Earthquakes and can drag them into the playoffs because he plays with so much urgency and so much energy. And I'm going to say, I was frustrated with the, the lack of urgency and the lack of energy in the first half. I felt it coming from Matthew Hoppy, uh, you know, who was running at defenders who got angry when he missed that chance. I didn't really feel it coming from any other spot on the field when Paul Marie came on he brought it uh, and and you know I, I'm not entirely satisfied with Lucci's answer about Paul Marie because it is true that Paul Marie was starting most games at the beginning of the season and then was essentially dropped and got maybe you know 10-15 minutes of run out for for most of July and August uh, and and so there definitely has been sort of a, a, a trajectory to, to Paul Marie's season uh, but he's the guy who can bring energy as well. And and what I want to see out of these last two games is the Earthquakes to come out and seize the game 
and play on the front foot and establish their spot in the playoffs. And I think they took one step towards doing that tonight. I don't think it was bad tonight. I think all things considered, you know, on the road at Minnesota, um, they, they, uh, they looked pretty solid, but I still think that there was uh, 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 another level that they could take it to with the, with the urgency, with the energy, with the intensity, with the pressing uh, and, and with their, you know, reaction times. I'm glad you re-raised uh, Jack Skane. And I want to, I wanted uh, to talk about him in two different angles. And so each of you feel like taking whichever angle you like to on this, but he came on for Jeremy Abobasi. You know, it's an interesting move. Lucci explained why he did it. I felt he was really mobile considering he came off a high ankle sprain, which is a tough injury to kind of come back from and, and feel like you have a lot of mobility. You know, he looked really mobile out there compared to what we've been seeing with Jeremy Abobasi. A couple things. First, you know, bringing him on for a Boba seed, do you like it? Yet you, you hate it. Um, him as a second forward with Hoppy, do you like it? You hate it. But also, is he that solution, Colin, in your opinion, to that 10 role? Or would you prefer to see more Matthew Hoppy since he's the one who's kind of got the uh, the kind of the, the hot hand right now and, and, you know, had a couple of misses tonight, but he's getting into some good positions, you have to admit, uh, to be able to have those chances to begin with. One in front of goal, and one where he was clear on one-on-one from, from a diagonal angle with the keeper tonight. Jack Skane, Matthew Hoppy, the 10 position. If it's not Montero, who is it? And who's at the left wing after you make that decision? Colin, I'll go to you first. So I'm not sure if I I'm not sure I followed exactly what your two angles were there. Um, but the if I if I can pick apart the the the, the, the first explicit question, which was, you know, do I like Jeremy Bobasi coming off for Jack Skane? And the answer is no, I hate it actually. Um, the the second question of is, but that is very different question than do I like Jack Skane at the 10? I actually do. Um, and so I, I'll do my best to explain both if I can. Um, and let's just, you know, like acknowledge there is a loud, but I think relatively small portion of the commentariat that just absolutely hates Jeremy Bobasi because apparently he needs to score 20 goals every single year. Um, I will use this, the formulation we frequently hear on social media. Learn ball. Learn ball. Jeremy Abobasi is an excellent back-to-goal striker. Uh, he lays off, he's laid off two what absolutely should have been assists in recent weeks. One to Hoppy tonight, one to Montero recently. Um, he actually wins aerial balls. He screens with his body really well. He combines with other guys. And it's not like he's missing a ton of shots and goals here. You know, it's the, he, if he was taking wild shots, if he was incredibly wasteful in front of goal, that's one thing. He's just not getting any service. Jabo is not the problem with this team. Uh, the second, and and by the way, I think that led to significant problems at the end of this game when you put on scan for uh, for Abobasi, uh, because by the very end of the game, you have scan all alone up top. And yes, he can run around and be mobile, but the problem is there is no plan for possession, especially given that they went to this you know three at the back formation. You have two central midfielders. Everyone's sitting incredibly deep. You have Skahan running around on his own up top. There's no plan to hold on to the ball. And that just leads to more and more pressure being dealt there. Now, you know, Abobasi does run himself into the ground every match. 
you know, maybe he did need to come off. Um, so I can understand that. The other thing, though, is Hoppy isn't a nine precisely either. I mean, I'm sure he's will, you know, can do it. There's actually a comment that explicitly references this fact that he's explained that he would rather not play a nine in this system because it requires the way that uh, the kind of play that Jeremy Bobasi is doing in the four three three in the four three three different than what, in a four in four system two. that in this system that you know he's. Uh, playing he does not want to play as a lone striker or as a you know the leading of the line striker he would much play underneath uh, a guy like Jeremy Abobasi rather than play the Abobasi role so because that's not his game you know Hoppy wants to have his face towards goal uh, and you know he's an opportunistic finisher uh, Abobasi is very comfortable with his back to goal they're very different roles so there's only one guy for my measure in this roster who's a competent back to goal striker and that's Jeremy Abobasi there's no other replacement in terms of a 10 I would think that, uh, you know, Matthew Hoppy is actually a good example of a very uh, good second striker. And I, I like that look in a 4-4-2 if that's what it is. If it's a 4-3-3, I like Jack Skane at the 10 because he's vertical. He actually works the ball vertically up the field. And I think that that is a good thing to combine with. Jumiro is just not offering kind of enough of either type of thing for me to be the right guy for that role. But again... You know, uh, brighter minds than me on that sideline. Hopefully they can conjure up a system that works with those things. But fans who who think that Abobasi is the problem, you know, learn ball seriously. Yeah, uh, Alex, let me um, <clears throat> let me let me throw something out there about Abobasi. So in 2021 for the Quakes, he was averaging 2.95 shots per game in 2022, 3.12 this year, one point. Seven five. That's a huge drop off. I don't think that's a Jeremy Abobasi problem. I think that's a they don't have the players to get him the ball in the right configuration problem. That's my opinion. What's yours? Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. Jeremy scored nine goals this season, has three assists, should have had four assists with that Matthew Hoppy chance tonight. Uh, he's not getting service. I mean, the, the the bottom line is that this is an issue with the Quakes not having a guy in the number 10 position who is connecting passes and playing quickly on the counterattack and finding the forwards. I think Jeremy Abobasi and Christian Espinosa are the last two guys that you can blame uh, for the Earthquakes this season. Maybe maybe behind Daniel in goal, who, who covered himself in glory again tonight and reminded us all why uh, I think he is one of the best goalkeepers in, in Major League Soccer. Um, but but Danielle aside, I mean, Jeremy Abobasi and Christian Espinosa have been carrying the team on their back this season. Let's be very clear about that. Christian Espinosa did it again tonight, you know, almost single-handedly, you know, <laughs> carrying the team uh, to that draw, uh, you know, beating like three guys in the, the build-up to that equalizer there. Uh, and look, the Earthquakes, let's be real, they're, they're not a high-scoring team. They have 37 goals so far this season. That is the third lowest in the Western Conference. Only FC Dallas and, and the Colorado Rapids have scored fewer goals this season. And, and you know, not many teams in the Eastern Conference have scored fewer goals either. They, they've been lacking goals from the left side. They've been lacking goals from the number 10 position. They've been lacking goals from elsewhere on the field. They've been lacking goals everywhere except for the number nine in right wing position tonight. So that's clearly not the problem. Uh, I, you know, I, I think we've already identified what the problem is and we've been talking about it ad nauseum on the show for the you know last month is trying to figure out how to make this this midfield work. But it's it's not Jeremy Abobasi's fault. And look, they also have another number nine. They got Io Akinola, who I actually think can play good hold up, Colin. If there's anything about what you said that I disagree with, it's that I think Io Akinola can also offer decent hold up play 
uh, in that number nine position. Um, but, you know, there's a reason that it's Jeremy starting and not Io, and that's because Jeremy is the more clinical player who will do, you know, more with a really tough hand that he's been dealt. So, uh, you know, Martin's saying, if we agree that uh, Jeremy Obobese isn't getting the service, what can you do to reshape the midfield? I think that's what we've been talking about. What we've been talking about for really I the last is. few episodes <laughs> is how to reshape this midfield. Um, I, I can't remember, Alex. I don't. Did we get a, a clear answer from you? Who would you like to see instead of Montero uh, at this point? Now that Jack Skane is coming back into health, do you want to see Hoppy start there? Do you want to see Skane start there? And let's assume that the other can sub in. You know, who would you start though? I think the answer is Skane at this point. I, I, I think that uh, you know, I, I I trust Luigi Gonzalez enough. Uh, and I trust the system enough that I would I would I, I would want the Quakes to stick with what's a little more familiar to them in these last two games of the season. Put Skane in that number ten position he can do. And I am so comfortable if it's not working at the 60th minute for you know Lucha Gonzalez to throw on Matthew Hoppy and go to the four four two. I think that's the way that he's got to approach these last two games. Is you've got Skane starting if he's fit, and then throwing Matthew Hoppy in uh, if it's. Uh, you know, you can start Matthew Hoppy on the on the left wing, but again, I like him better centrally. I think he 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 might make more of an impact as a an early second half substitute or even a halftime substitute uh, at, at the uh, at the you know number uh, the, the the false forward, the second forward position. If, if it's not working in the first half with Cade Cowell, I would just say get him out of halftime and and bring in Matthew Hoppy. I think that you know we've seen it happen a couple of times now where the Quakes go into the half scoreless and then out allow an early goal in the second half. And, and I think they can prevent that by, you know, bringing on guys like Hoppy a little earlier in the match in order to, to proactively, uh, you know, make that change rather than reactively try to chase the game. Yeah. I, uh, I, I like this point from Nestor. I, I texted someone, I texted someone about this earlier this week going, my, my biggest problem with Jeremy is that I need him to make near post runs on the right. Last week, Montero, look, we've been complaining about Montero a bit, but let's talk about what happened last week. He's the one who drug the defenders forward and moved the line back to create the space for the ball to Matthew Hoppy last week that allowed Hoppy to be able to get that finish. That is something that a Bobacy, and I've said it multiple times on this show, does not do. It bothers me quite a bit because I would like to see him make the runs and commit to the runs, but here's why he doesn't. It's because he's left-footed. He does not have the confidence that he can make a near post run on the right and be able to get a right footed foot, you know, and be able to direct it back on goal. I get it, but I need him to make the runs anyway, because it does open up that type of space that it opened up for hoppy last week. And tonight um, you saw a couple situations where it kind of almost happened again, where the line had dropped enough, there was enough people like pushing forward, and there was, you know, I think uh, someone uh, toward the uh, at the top of the box. I can't remember who ended up on on the shot, but someone kind of arrived a bit late, and that ball almost runs across again. And you almost have the exact same situation. I do feel that if you're going to get the most out of Jeremy Abobasi, he has to get much better service from the left side, uh, so that he can get a left foot on it. If he is your striker, and I'm okay with that. He scored 17 goals last year. 15 of them, you know, were not penalties. You know, he has the ability to do that. It would it would be the same thing if all the service was coming on the left to, to Chris Wondolowski. Wondolowski, if all the service only came from the left and didn't come from the right, 
Wondolowski would have, would have had the exact same problem. You have to let that ball run across your body and you have to be able to hit it with the right foot. This is a massive problem. That's why they got to solve it either at the 10 or uh, they have to solve it at the left wing. Um, but it has to happen on the left side. Someone on the left has to give a Bobacy service to get onto the left foot. So I really love that comment, you know, from Nestor there. Uh, any thoughts from you guys? Uh, by the way, so well, first of all, if that is the complaint that we have about Jeremy Abobasi, and I think it is a very accurate tactical observation, I think that underlines how he's not the problem with the overall system here. <laughs> um, but yeah. the the second thing I want to mention is, because I, I, I just looked it up, Jeremy Abobasi is a top 10 XG player this year. You know, mm -hmm. and I think that this is the thing, you know, people are assuming that, you know, somehow he's a dreadful striker that doesn't isn't productive in the league. Like he's in the top 20 of the league this year. Um, he's actually higher than Christian Espinosa of anything. Um, Christian Espinosa has wildly outperformed his XG this year, which is obviously <laughs> delightful uh, for us as fans, but it's not necessarily a representative of, you know, like what's actually going on. Um, but yeah, no, look that, you know, we've been focusing on the center of midfield because that usually sets up most of the other things. But look, the, the other thing is this is the thing that we've been talking about for many months is the left wing has not been productive. Um, that's why my answer to your question is if Lucci's going for the 4-4-2 uh, like a tr very traditional version of that, put Hoppy as the 10. If he's trying to do the 4-3-3 that he was originally trying to do, that then it's Skane. Or actually, quite frankly, it might be Chakiris and, and Yule ahead of uh, Gruezo if you set up in a certain way. Um, I think that might be a, a, a setup that he actually trusts more uh, with Scan coming on later. Sorry, this this conversation just reminded me that the Earthquakes got a significant offer from a Syria A team for Cade Cowell this summer and somehow managed to turn it down. And now I'm spiraling a little significant. bit. Because, well, because yeah. the San Jose Earthquakes could have moved Cade Cowell and cleared room on their books for a top-level DP left winger next season, and they did not do that. And now they're stuck in the awkward position that they've been stuck in for the last year and a half, where they have Kate Cowell, they have Benji Kakanovich, they already have Matthew Hoppy as well. They have three guys who can play there, and none of whom can whip in a really good left footed cross. And you know, maybe it's Paul Marie. I'm seeing a comment in here about how uh, Paul Marie, uh, uh, you know, could play left wing. Maybe, maybe that's worth a shot, but I, I think the real answer is they need to go in the transfer market and sign a, a you know, a top level left winger and, and number 10. Well, certainly. Time. And and we've been saying that for many months, but my, just to, on the first part of your question, I actually have a question right back for you. Are you're saying they should have accepted $3 million that wasn't even guaranteed that you would have taken that offer. Uh, I would have taken the offer if it was guaranteed. Uh, I didn't see the specifics of the deal. Uh, I know that it was, uh, you know, at least uh, uh, technically a loan offer. Uh, but, you know, I don't know what the triggers were uh, on well, that. Well, here, I'll, I'll give, I don't know. Jamin can contradict me if I have these facts wrong, but I have. No, go, three go, million, ahead. Three, go ahead. Three million you, you, guaranteed. I got the same information I have. Yeah. Go ahead. Three million guaranteed with some incentives, and it was conditional on them staying up. Um, it was the best offer that came to me, even a fully guaranteed 3 million is, is right at the very bottom of the, of the range that I would consider acceptable. Uh, and so basically the, the quakes are wagering that they can get at least that or a similar fee in the, in the winter. And there was some potential that if Cade played well, that they could get more. I think that was a reasonable bet to make. Now, believe me, the club is not above criticism for failing to sell a player. Their failure to accept the uh, Kakanovich offer of $1.5 million uh, at the beginning of the year is, you know, uh, that is a black mark on the front office. But for me, turning down $3 million that was conditional is, 
is not necessarily a horrible team. Well, see, they're, they're kicking the can down the road, and now it means they're dependent on moving him over the offseason. And let me tell you, he did not cover himself in glory again tonight. He had a sitter six yards out that he managed to sky uh, at the top of the box. And, you know, that's the, the finishing issues that the Quakes have from the, the left wing. They're, they're not going away. Mean, as much Poppy as missed a sitter too. we can hope and pray that somehow the ball will find, you know, its way into the back of the net. It has yet to do that this season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, hit a much had a much easier chance. Cade was at least taking something that was fizzing in. We had a defender sliding in on him. Hoppy has an uncontested. He could just you know pass it beyond the keeper. I mean, these things happen, right? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I agree. I mean, it is Player, true that Matthew Hoppy has scored two goals in the last two games, and Cade Cowell has not. So I would say, on the whole, Matthew yep. Hoppy has been much more clinical than than Cade has managed to be so far this season. And you know, I I don't think it's worth making a, a direct comparison. Um, but you know, if you have to choose who's starting right now, I, I would choose Matthew Hoppy just because he's the, the thing I appreciate about Matthew Hoppy. And I said this before is that he is willing to chase the second and the third balls. And I think that's sometimes a contrast to Cade, who I feel like can lose the ball and then put his head down. And I feel like Cade, maybe because he's been in that situation now for a year and a half to two years, uh, has has kind of formed like bad patterns or bad habits. And Matthew Hoppy is still, I think, so fresh uh, and and bullish that he hasn't that he hasn't learned to do that yet. He hasn't he hasn't kind of uh, got that 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 you know m- maybe mental block in his head at this point. So that's that's the the positive for for Matthew Hoppy, I'd say. So let me let me uh, uh, put this you know out there in terms of in terms of Hoppy. So if you take off Montero. You have to be able to press with a second player in the in the four four two, and I hate the four three three. So I don't even want to talk about it. Uh, when they've run that this year, it's looked like a disaster. Um, so for that second player up top, along with the Bobasi, is Hoppy someone that you think can handle those types of pressing duties given his work rate? He certainly doesn't have the same pace, but can he do it with his work rate? Are you okay with putting Hoppy up top to be able to press with if you have to take Montero Montero off or do you use Skane as your 10 and have him go up because you like the way that Skane moves and his, his mobility and his, his ability to chase? Who do you think is the better presser? Well, so this is the, I don't accept the premise of the question. This okay. is a leading question here, which what's, is. What's, what's the premise? So the premise here is that it's important to have somebody who's, you know, where pressing is like an important attribute for this role to have. The way the system has been set up lately, you look at the way they played today, they were not pressing very hard at all. Uh, Montero was pressing individually, but it was actually shocking to me. You look at everyone else on the field, you know, Montero was running down the center back. Let wingers aren't pressing, you know, center mids, the, the line of engagement is quite low. Um, if you're going to be a pressing team, you have to press as 11, right? You have to, you cannot press individually. Uh, it is, it's a disaster. That's how you get caught out. Right. Um, so what my that's why what informs my views is it you know and i've been saying this for a long time too this team has to lucci actually i was about to say this team lucci has to decide what kind of team he has does he have a counter-attacking team where he's going to sit back absorb pressure and counter or does he have a team that he really does want to be on the front foot and press he wants to really set up in a way that is going to be front foot pressing first of all i don't think it's going to work very well uh, in this particular context, in this particular season, but Skein is the answer because yes, I agree, he would probably be the better presser. But Hoppy has a lot of work rate. I think that he has the, that dog in him that he would do it. Um, but I think that you know the the system they've set up really hasn't required full eleven pressing. 
You know, this isn't what you see out of Liverpool. This isn't what you see out of Tottenham now under Ange. Like this is, you know, this is definitely not that. So that's the, I don't really accept the premise on that grounds alone. Uh, but, you know, that's why Montero has looked so out of place in this team is that he's never been a part of a team that is pressing as 11. I, I mean, I, I'll accept the premise, Colin, only because I think that uh, Jack Skane single-handedly pressing has worked for the Earthquakes, you know, at times of the season, and that they don't need two wingers who are jumping the gun every time or Jeremy Abobasi trying to, to hop the center back when you have Jack Skane running everyone down single-handedly. You saw the way it worked in the Cali Classico. You saw the way it worked in the subsequent games. Jack Skane, I think, alone can create dangerous turnovers and, and you know, be the, the trigger for that press and, and be the trigger uh, for those transition moments. And so I think the answer is, is just Jack Skane. And, I mean, you're right. If if they decide they want to bunker and attack on the, the, the counterattack, then, then I think you play Matthew Hoppy because I think that Matthew Hoppy, you know, has, has probably got more legs uh, and, and is more comfortable, you know, on those breakaway situations with the ball in space out wide. But, um, you know, that's that's not something that I think uh, Luchi Gonzalez has has really settled on. We saw the Quakes do that a couple times earlier this season uh, where they played with, you know, Espinosa um, in a really high position looking to counterattack. But he hasn't brought that out since, you know, maybe July. So tonight, um, he didn't have to work as hard as he has in other games. But uh, Danielle, uh, with that save on Timu Puki, replays were showing that it was pretty darn close. Um, that, I think that, you, you have to admit that was a that was a pretty good save, and and it will count against that uh, that that goals minus xg. That'll make him look a little bit better. You know, I, I Colin, we haven't got to talk to you quite as much about this. Um, you know, what are you seeing with, with Danielle right now? The the stats kind of have him as a top three keeper in MLS. We kind of projected that that could be the case before the season. You know, where where, where are you putting him right now in terms of, uh, you know, other keepers on the top of the league? Well, uh, yeah, you're underselling it. I mean, I I think that in a per game basis, unless it got dramatically worse in the last game, I'll have to check it. Right. But yeah, you, you did. You did uh, send this on to uh, I said this to my, my good friend, Matt, Matt Doyle. Matt Doyle. Yeah. Who lives right next to me here in New York City. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's having a special season and he's masking a lot of frailties of this team. You know, he, he's, if you look at it, this is again, circa two weeks ago. And again, I'm going to check to see if this is still true. He was having a top 10 season of all time and post shot, you know, goals expected prevented. Um, and you know, we're talking like, this is on the same order of magnitude of, since, of like since 2013, since, since, yeah, yeah. since 2013, which is when we started tracking that data through ASA. That's um, right. but you know, we're talking like a very, very serious, you know, like a very, very good season. Uh, the quakes, you know, would be, they wouldn't be anywhere near where they are without Danielle, uh, playing the way he has. And he hasn't been bad with his feet either. I mean, he's not necessarily, you know, he's not necessarily an elite ball distributor, uh, but he's been perfectly fine. Um, so and so therefore, like the one potential concern you had on that side, not it hasn't revealed itself to be too big of an issue. Um, and he hasn't made any like glaring mistakes either. You know, he's playing uh, a, just a magnificent season and he's covering up for a lot of fragilities. I mean, I think I've made it clear. Actually, I haven't even I haven't published it because, you know, I have too much on my day job. But, you know, the offseason wish list. You know that he needs another center back in front of him, um, who's going to pair with Rodriguez, 
uh, because, you know, there's been a kind of a, a, I don't know, a turnstile there on the other side of like who the, who the guy is. And I like Tanner Beeson well enough, but you know, if he had a really good center back pairing, um, you know, I think that that would shield him a bit more. Um, but, and, Oh, yeah, there we go. We get the, uh, we get to see the, Live, as we go. Live, stand, but, you know, live standings, guys. Uh, yeah, sorry. Go ahead and finish your thought, Colin. Let's talk playoffs. No, no. I'm just saying, like, you know, if the the goal scoring problems that the Quakes have are the ones that we've been focusing on kind of more deeply because I think we all know that they're right on the edge of, you know, oblivion if they don't get a little bit more offense going. Uh, but I think those things are relatively easy to fix in the offseason. Like, they're very – well, excuse me. Not easy, but they're clear. They're clear what they are to fix. Defensively, though, this is a fragile team, too, that's being held together with paste and tape by Danielle. I think that a, a new center back would probably help that a bit. And then obviously the offensive end, you know, takes a little pressure off, too. Can, can I jump in here briefly? Because because my offseason wish list is, is not that the Earthquakes get uh, uh, a center back to, to sit in front of Danielle. My, my number one wish is that the Earthquakes sell Danielle to a Bundesliga, La Liga or Serie A team for five million plus dollars and, then, and then, then go find another player out of the out of the brazilian league or something and then go find another group of people <laughs> only because i think danielle deserves that at this stage in his career he's 29 years old which isn't young for a goalkeeper but let's keep in mind he didn't really get many starting minutes until he was 26 27 years old so he's he's only been a starting level goalkeeper for the last two years and for him to be one of the best goalkeepers in major league soccer with one of the you know, best seasons of, you know, the last 10 years in major league soccer after having put up similar numbers in Brazil. I think that this is the player that is legitimately worth that amount of money and could hop in easily to a, a top five, you know, starting team uh, in, in, in Europe. And, and I would love to see that, that move happen for him, regardless of what it means for the earthquakes. That's, that's top of my wish list. If I'm, yeah, yeah, Jamie, do you Greg, have some Gregory, of your... Gregory, Gregory Cohn, the answer to that is yes, you did. It's on the uh, it's on the website from the uh, preseason. Sorry, Colin, yeah. go ahead. And it's very much borne out. You know, his his goal preventions there are, you know, massively more than what you would get if they'd spent a similar amount of money on on a striker. Um, That's and right. So, and I was so I was I was bought into the thesis before the season started, but I wasn't positive that Danielle would be that level of player. Um, he has borne out the thesis completely. So a huge credit to the analytics staff of the San Jose Earthquakes because they were the team that was pushing this. You know, obviously within the front office, there's different teams that have different kind of priorities and that's kind of by by design. You know, Bruno Costa is the scout. They have some other people in the technical staff that you don't necessarily hear about. You have the analytics people. You know, they're, you know, they're all in a big conversation. That is a big win for the analytics team with Danielle. So well done to them. Um, and well done, by the way, and directly to the broader front office for bringing in a large and serious analytics team to to have that kind of information there. Because if you're not going to be top spending team in the league, you got to find other edges, and that's that's clearly they found one. Um, there has there has been a change up, by the way, in that team. So some people were asking the question. So I'll go ahead and address it. Uh, you know, uh, there uh, Lucy within the team uh, has, is no longer there. However, they have already replaced her with a specific profile that they were looking for. Uh, with a very experienced uh, data uh, person that is going to really kind of help their uh, their their data in the back end. So there's a, there's a, some change going on in the analytics team, but nothing to be concerned with. They feel very good about uh, the three that they have with the uh, I guess the potential maybe for some additional hires in the off season based upon what I've what I've heard. So um, could I yeah could I loop this back by the way to something that Alex yeah. was saying earlier about the you know go ahead and sell them um, you know for for a huge amount of money. 
this is, I, 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 you know, it's funny. I, I, you know, Alex and I probably have most of the, you know, disagreements here on this show. I could not agree with you more on this one. You know, this, and it actually points to a bigger theme. Again, for me, the front office and what it has chosen to do is uh, usually they make good decisions. What it's chosen not to do is where where the trouble has come for me uh, in many of these instances. And what that really reflects is about selling. I, I could write in a whole article on this. Maybe I go in a deep dive on this over in the off season. <laughs> um, it's, I, you know, I work in finance, so I'm kind of around the like the buying and selling traders market a lot. Uh, it, I think it is, generally speaking, you should sell a little bit before you want to sell. You know, it, it, it's kind of it helps to have that attitude because if you hold on to something that's really valuable, it's, you know, you're liable to behold something that is no longer valuable, especially when you're talking about soccer players who, who age quickly and their primes can go away quickly as well. So you want to sell, you know, when it's painful, right? You want to sell at a point where you're like, gosh, I'm giving away a really good asset because that's usually closer to the peak of their value rather than <laughs> later on. I think that this front office has, um, again, the Kakanovich thing is is brutal. Uh, you know, I think that that was a, a dreadful decision. Um, and it, it's, you know, it's a front office that I admire in many ways, but like not making that decision, not selling means not only you're not getting any of the value that you had for Benji at the time, but you're also not able to recycle those funds back into the team. Good teams are selling constantly because that velocity allows them to keep buying and selling. The Quakes have never really gotten this velocity started. They've barely gotten there with Marcos Lopez. You know, that's about all they've ever done. They need to get the selling going and they need to sell before they're comfortable selling. Should we, should, should we put a disclaimer on, on the show notes here that this is not uh, legally uh, considered financial advice, Colin? <laughs> yeah, that, sure. <laughs> would that be not, helpful? Not legally considered gammon tam advice. Uh, yeah. uh, no, the good um, thing is these are uh, the players are not registered securities, so I don't think I'm in trouble here. <laughs> I would say so, I would say, Colin, that 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 while me and you might disagree on some of the Quakes transfer rumors, I, I think that most of the disagreements on the the day to day aftershock show probably lie between me and Jamin. I, I think I think in terms of tactics, we're probably more on the same page than we're than we're not. So uh, the, there is a comment in the chat right now. So there is a rumor that Bruno Costa has left the team. Um, I, I don't have. A direct answer on that from the team at this time so i'm not able to speak to it but yes i can acknowledge that there is a rumor uh that uh, that uh, that bruno costa has left the team so just have just a quick effort. i haven't heard anything but obviously now i have some text to send <laughs> yeah exactly all right uh so still a rumor for now uh, unconfirmed um people appreciating the uh the uh analysis uh that you're providing here colin always good to you have gotta you on, sell on you gotta show. be you have to be a good seller you can't just be a good buyer you have to be a good seller i mean brighton obviously has been an excellent buying club in recent years they've also been a really really good selling club you know they've sold some and they've been really good at selling before the value goes out you know marco correa selling for 50 million pounds and then turning out to not be that good like to me that's just like absolutely brilliant work from brighton you know they're they're selling at the peak value and that's when you want to do it Hey, but Brighton, it's, it's nothing very, very good to, at this. Nothing compared to the the work that Matias Almeida has been able to do uh, in Athens and and recently beat Brighton in the in the Europa League column. That is true. Yes, well, uh, Brighton also got beat six one today by you know Phyllis. So you know, I'm not sure how big of an accomplishment. Phyllis not it is bad at the moment. No, Phyllis pretty that's good. Fine. 
but you know, six one is a lot. Um, okay, for those asking about Bruno, he is the uh, head scout uh, of the uh, of the club. Okay, so uh, let's look at the playoff line here. Portland currently. Let me. I mean, I assume this is still alive. Let me just refresh to be to be safe that we've got the right to so Portland. Uh, losing two three, Vancouver tied one one. By the way, Portland is uh, is losing. I believe that's to the Galaxy. Yes, the Galaxy three uh, two, and I think uh, Vancouver is tied with DC United. If I caught that correct, so um, so this is where where things look today. I'll have to say my simulation is unsure where to draw the playoff line as of right now. Everyone that I've seen has been putting it out there that is likely to be at 44 points. There's good reason for that. If FC Dallas just wins one more game, could even be against the earthquakes next week, you know, then, uh, you know, then, then that line starts to potentially move up. But at the same time, it also has projected with the same level of confidence that the line could be as low as 41. So anywhere between 41 and 44 at this point, unlikely to be higher than that. And there's a good reason. This mid-table is just not getting results. At the end of the day, uh, the mid-table is acting exactly like a mid-table. And it is up and it is down. A lot of draws, not a lot of wins. Right now, Vancouver holds the tiebreaker over the Quakes with 11 wins versus San Jose's 10. So that's the cost of not getting three points on a night like tonight. You would hope that the you know San Jose will finish this off on decision day and at least get to 11 if they do. Um, and uh, the number of points stay the same, then, uh, of course, uh, the uh, Quakes will tie with Portland on those points. But more than likely, if the points are going to stay the same, Portland's going to be adding another win. So that's going to go to 12 and 10. So they don't really have the right tiebreaker scenario with a Vancouver, with a Portland. It's feeling like eight or nine, a lot of this dependent upon the outcome against FC Dallas next week. I think the Quakes are fairly solidly uh, you know, above the playoff line right now, just in terms of ninth or higher, because as you can see, Sporting Kansas City and Minnesota are four points behind the earthquakes at this point. That means they need to, you know, probably almost win out uh, to be able to, to do that. Minnesota's got a game in hand, so maybe a little bit less so there. But, you know, the mid-table being the mid-table, 41 to 44 points. Alex, you know, what are your thoughts? You're shaking your head here. Look, I, I think you're overthinking a little bit. I don't think the earthquakes are in anything yet. And I think all they need is one win from these last two games. And that'll put them in. If the earthquakes can get one win, they'll be in the playoffs. You can wash your hands of it. They beat FC Dallas. They're in clearly. They beat Austin on the final day. They're in like, maybe it would be enough if they get two draws, but I, I, I don't think it's a good strategy to, to plan for no. that. If the earthquakes win, one of these two games, they're in the playoffs. And and that's what I mean when I say avoided disaster tonight. They avoided disaster tonight because if you lose, then that might not even have been true. But but all they need is one win, and and that's the takeaway here. And they should be able to get one win. And it would be a, a, a really remarkable and catastrophic uh, you know, capitulation if they don't get that. You know, because if they yeah. don't get one win, that would mean they get two wins out of their last 11 games of the season post League's Cup. That's that's a Matias Almeida, uh, you know, level level capitulation uh, towards the end of the season there. That that, Matias, that would Matias that Almeida would, lost seven games going into the very end here. So at least the Quakes are drawing their way toward the finish line. 
I, 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 that does not re reassure me at all, Jamin. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I'm just uh, saying, we, it's not Matias Almeida of... level. It's a level above Matias Almeida. Not yeah. a good level, but a level above Matias at least. Colin, Look, what are your yeah, thoughts? Do we get a little bit of complimentary words for Matias from Alex and a little bit of insult too, just to balance it out. <laughs> Um, look, this the table machinations are interesting to people like you, Jamin, who are, are interested in modeling such things and you know being predictive. They're interesting to fans from you know who are anxious and this is how we resolve our anxieties. But the what it really matters is uh, for the the team is just does it change the way they play in any of the remaining games? Um, with FC Dallas, I actually don't think that there's. I mean, look, yes, obviously they can slip below them, but there's really no reason not to go for the three against NC Dallas because you know it is a six pointer in a, in a way. But even if Dallas passes San Jose, that's not really the problem. The problem is if somebody below Dallas, you know, passes San Jose. Um, but I think that Lucci might see it slightly differently and might say, "Look, if I get two points in these remaining games, I'm probably good." And he's probably right, by the way. Um, so I think that they could be quite conservative. And I think it depends on what the disparity is between Austin and San Jose in that final weekend uh, for how they play it out. So I think that that's the thing I'm kind of tracking is, you know, are they in a situation where Lucci's going to play for the draw? Um, you know, but I, I think that you just go for it in Dallas. And, you know, if you lose, so be it. I, Dallas, I Dallas has a this. game in game in hand so if you get a draw next week against dallas yeah. they could still go past you with exactly another, that's that's why result. i don't think a draw does anything because dallas yeah but, no, still, but if dallas goes past them. you who cares because you're still in the playoffs you care about sporting and minnesota and those teams below the playoff line well eight eight is a home play-in game i think that does matter a bit if you're you know you, you're if, if you're going to be in in eighth or ninth Definitely take eight. At least but you can speaking, play at home. We're speaking the same thing because either way, Dallas could still pass them. So either way, they still need to go for the win here. That I mean, I, I, I know. I think. No, I think. I think Lucci no is. I think Lucci is hundred percent going for the wins, but he also is mindful of game state. I think tonight, once you get down, you got to get back in the game and you got to be able to get a goal. Certainly, once they got the goal, you know they're going to go for a second, which they did. Um, I don't think that there's any like we're going for the draw until you get to like you know two minutes left in stoppage time and it's. It's tied at that point. You wrap up the points and you you walk away for the most part. But uh, certainly, I think they're going to go for it on these next two games, particularly Austin at home. But it makes sense to go for it against Dallas. That's a team that can catch you and can take a home game away from you. So uh, certainly, you, you'd want to you want to try to end the season. Austin, you'll notice, not even in the vicinity here. It's questionable that they will even have anything Damon, you just have to, scroll. to play for. You just, you just have to scroll down. 35 points. They're on 35 points. So there you go. 35 points. They're not catching the quakes. Not going to happen. I'm just going to, to say that is 100% the case. They're not going to win necessarily their next two games and suddenly be uh, challenging for that last playoff spot. So I'll just, I'll just say it flatly. These teams are all beating each other up right now, and, you know, that's pretty much what's going on. And, uh, you know, uh, hopefully you catch an unmotivated uh, Austin team on the last game of the season. And if you can get three points and then get another three points, the upside at this point, you could end up in fifth or sixth. Yeah. If, if you can, if you can get six points to end the season, Alex, you're laughing, but you can't. Yeah, that's, that's it's very clearly what, the what way was, it looks. What was ridiculous to me is that the Quakes could have ended up in fourth place or 10th place based 100%. on the results tonight, which is absolutely wild to me. And you know, it just speaks to how tight this Western conference is and, and how much these, these last few games matter. And, you know, we've kind of talked ad nauseum about how the midfield looks tonight. 
uh, and and you know what Lucci can do in these last two games to to change things. But you know, there's a certain element of luck involved, and you know when you have a a, a playoff format like this, you get some wild, wonky, crazy results because everybody's trying to get over line. I think it's the most stressful way uh, possible to to organize a, a soccer league is to 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 draw these lines in the playoffs and. Uh, that's why we're MLS fans, guys, is because is we get to enjoy uh, two weeks of, uh, you know, tedious uh, uh, simulations. All right. So uh, those of you who are on, you're probably already patrons. But just in case you're not, check out our Patreon at quakesupacenter.com slash Patreon. As, as Colin has indicated, we're very, very busy. We've not been able to do a lot of writing this season. So if you like us um, and then if we do write in the offseason, you'll get early access to the articles. Uh, you know, definitely sign up for, for $2 a month if you can afford that. If you have the ability to to get do $5 a month, you can get into our Slack. Um, a lot of great conversations going there all week long, um, in, including things like the rumors around Bruno Costa and some of the other situations that people want to comment on and, and raise. Uh, if you want to, you know, talk about how nervous you are about the team, about the playoffs, anything else, you will find another a group of fans in there who are every bit as nervous as you and you can commiserate with them, all your concerns that you would like. So for if you really, really like us and you've got the money, our top tier is $15 a month. I'd like to go into our final thoughts of the night. So Colin, um, I'll give you the first shot here. Uh, you uh, are not able to be on the show very often, but I think uh, I think you got some of your, your big thoughts out on the table. What are your closing thoughts for the night? Uh, yeah, and look, I actually kind of want to do a deeper dive on this later on, but I think what Robert said last week about the ownership situation what you know really struck me and uh you know i had because i haven't been on to say this but you know what john fisher said was was really kind of hurtful to me as a, as a quakes fan who's you know i've been going to games since spartan stadium in the 90s um and you know the early 2000s and then buckshaw and and, and paypal um there's a lot to analyze about what it is one very simple thing that i just want to throw out there is you know, one way to phrase writing a check on behalf of your soccer team to spend on something is spending, you know, implying it's a cost. Another way to phrase all that is investment and his investment in the team and players in the personnel that actually grows the value of the franchise overall. Um, and, and this team is kind of investment starved. PayPal came in at $100 million, which, by the way, is actually remarkable. That is a, like a really, really uh, amazing uh, achievement to build the stadium for that little money in this part of the world, you know, given how expensive, you know, real estate is and all that. You know, could he have invested twice that or five times that? You know, probably, yeah. Uh, and it would have gotten a you know, different result and would have set up a, a franchise differently. You know, you can't blame other people for for the lack of investment. We know the cash is coming out of your pocket, but I assure you there are financial institutions that are happy to lend you or you know provide some kind of arrangement if you're worried about the cash flow, uh, given that your asset is continuously increasing in value. Anyway, that being said, um, I, I think that this team is heading in the right direction um, as an organization in the big picture. Meaning, I think that Lucci was a good hire and has improved on Almeida. I think that Leach uh, and his front office has improved on Fiorinelli. However, you know, we're 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 getting into a year when the patience that we have with those things is going to be a little bit less. They make the playoffs here in Lucci year one. I think it's a reasonable achievement. Um, but you know, they 
there's clearly they have their work cut out for them to do, you know, greater on. So I just want to kind of like put it out to a bigger picture here. Um, you know, I think that this is a good year one for Lucci and year two for Chris Leach. Um, but, you know, uh, so we should we should be happy about that part. But, you know, there, there's certainly more work to do. All right. <clears throat> Let me get it. Get out of the solo layout there. Alex, you get your final words of the night. Uh, what do you want to uh, jump in on? Well, I mean, I find it remarkable, Colin's ability to remain detached, dispassionate, and, uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, level-headed about the current playoff state that this team is in. And, and look at the big picture here, because this was the probably the first Quakes game this season where I felt like I was losing my mind uh, because of the hoppy miss, uh, because of the cowl miss, because of the, the lack of tracking back when they went down. Uh, and I will say they very narrowly avoided disaster tonight. I think this would have been a lot different show if they don't make that, you know, 83rd minute late equalizer. But they have done just enough uh, to, I think, satisfy us now. And, and we're left kind of uh, uh, racking our brains to figure out what they can do in these last two games of the season to, to get over the line. Are they in a good spot? Yes. Uh, are they are they still causing uh, all of the Quakes community a, a bunch of uh, – dread and worry yes so i i think that's going to continue right down to the wire knowing this organization and the way that things have gone for them for the last uh, nine years nothing nothing's going to come easy and i think i think we got, have to continue to expect uh, a nail biter heading into these last uh, two two game weeks of the season all right <clears throat> so final words from me uh yeah i i think this team is been saying it since the second game of the season. I think this is a mid-table team. It's going to finish as a mid-table team. The chance that they're going to be anywhere from 7th to 10th is extremely high. Um, but I do think they're going to land within the playoffs. I think the, the it's going to be almost... And mid-table is improvement, by the way. Mid-table is a huge improvement when they were last in the in the league last year. Not as much improvement as the Houston Dynamo, but it is it is an improvement. And I, and I think the... Uh, you know, I think the roadmap for improvement in the offseason is starting to become very clear. You know, getting the right uh, second center back, getting the uh, the right creative attacking midfielder um, in there, figuring out the left wing situation. All those things, you know, give the Quakes a good roadmap for being able to go forward, largely solve the defensive and goalkeeping, you know, problems that they had last season. Um, you know, this season. So that's where the progress has gone. Unfortunately, it's a team that's gone from 50 goals down to around what, 36, 37 goals at this point. Um, the actual number is 37. Yeah. So it's a huge drop off um, and one that they can't be happy with and certainly needs to be addressed next year. Imagine if this team has scored even five more goals, they probably would be around fifth or even fourth. And we potentially would be talking about them fighting to, uh, to be able to have home field advantage, you know, in their first playoff round of the season. So that's the big difference that this team has to do. That's the, 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 the level that they have to address in order to be able to get there for next season. Other than that, I agree with you, Colin. I think um, year one making the playoffs with Lucci is, is the right accomplishment for what this team is. And I don't think anyone in the front office is satisfied at all. They were talking about a home playoff uh, earlier in the season around the LAFC time. Uh, I think they're going to be disappointed that they fell short of that. And uh, they largely know, you know, what needs to be done in order to be able to get there. It needs to come in terms of the offseason investments at the top. That said, 
Two games left in the season, everything to play for. Huge game, FC Dallas next week. And of course, the Aftershock will be here following the Quakes and FC Dallas to be able to provide you with another post-game show. Thanks to everyone for the great comments tonight. Daniel uh, has a very good point. Don't forget to watch and cheer for the Quakes too. They are in the playoffs. It's confirmed, and they will play St. Louis too tomorrow. By the way, uh, this very interesting MLS Next Pro playoff format in which teams got to pick their opponent, the Quakes got picked last, basically. They were left over. The two teams that took opponents didn't want to play them, so it's a, kind of an interesting thing. And, uh, well, you know, one of the teams has already paid the price for picking the wrong opponent. Um, but definitely, uh, definitely check out the uh, the Quakes too tomorrow. I'm pretty sure that game will be on Apple TV. And uh, we look forward to seeing uh, seeing everyone again next week on the Aftershock. Take care, everyone. Have a good night.